right now I want to talk about this particular, you know, chapter issue uh, uh, that we're exploring together, um, this concept of what it means to live a, a life worthy of our calling. And I'd like us to turn to Ephesians 4. Now, the portion of Scripture is already in the handout for some of us, if we want to follow that way. But in Ephesians 4, we're opening up with this. Oh, and by the way, um, this is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, hence Ephesians. And I think it's helpful to, to understand that Paul is writing to people who have made a faith commitment. Every now and then, I, I want to remind us of that because he's writing to people who've opened up their hearts to Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And again, I realize that not all of us even here um, have made that decision. Maybe we're in the process of doing that. Maybe we're very close to doing that. Maybe we have, and we're just starting out. Uh, maybe some of us are just investigating with some degree of caution and hesitation because, you know, the Jesus thing can be scary, and yet we're maybe drawn, as I think we will be when we, when we really see him, he's irresistible. Um, but anyway, this letter is written to those who have developed out their faith, their faith relationship with Jesus. So it's not being shared. What I'm about to read is not being shared as an appeal to the as-of-yet-convinced or the unbelieving. It's actually an appeal to those who say they actually want to follow Jesus and have committed themselves to do so. So it's important. Let's start in that direction. Paul starts out. He's in prison at the time. He's been confined. He's been confined because of his, in his case, his, his testimony for Jesus. It's, it's got him locked in confinement. And he says, I therefore a prisoner... For the Lord. That's why he says it's for the Lord. He's writing from that place. And he almost wears it as a kind of a badge of honor. And it certainly sees it as something that could increase the credibility and the potency of his words. He says, I want to urge you. Here's our line. Here's our focus. I want to urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Which is his way of saying, I want you to live a life that aligns with what you've called to be in Christ. I want you to seek congruency between who you are positionally in Jesus. And I know this doesn't make sense to everybody, but in chapters one through three of the book, he's talking about our position in Christ, how we couldn't do it on our own. We needed a savior and how this amazing gift's been given to us. So one, chapters one through three of Ephesians is about our position in Jesus. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. We receive it. But chapter four starts a departure. He then starts building off of what he says Jesus could only do and the amazing stunning, astonishing promises we have secured because of what he has done. He then shifts it to, in light of what Jesus has done, you and I then are called to live a life of response to that. And what does that look like? So that's how he, he pushes, he pushes the, this. this and, and look what he says. He says, you know what? Basically, what should be your dominant quest as followers of Jesus is to live aligned, fully aligned, as much as possible, even as Jesus, who was the fully aligned one, and he says, and it'll show up in your life in this way. Look what he says. Do you see the description? Verse 2. He says, it'll show up in our lives with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Wow. Those are, those are like, those are, ten, those are tender. Those are soft words. He's, he's talking about these relational qualities as one of the main ways it starts to show up in our life. You know, it's the opposite of things like pride or being harsh in our relationships, uh, being pushy, 
And we can play this out in our home life. We can play this out in our friendships. We can play this out at the workplace. I hope we're not disconnecting between how we are when we're part of a community confessing Jesus and then how we are when we're outside of the walls, so to speak, in the real world marketplace of life. I think it's even more important that we live with as much congruency as possible because in the end of the day, the reputation of Jesus is staked on the conduct and the qualities of those who claim to know him. People ultimately will make their assessment of of Jesus on the basis of what they see lived out by the people who claim to love him. Therefore, it makes how we think about living and how we actually are implementing those perceptions exceptionally important, which is why, as we will see, Jesus will always push us inward, always, because what is in comes out. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. You know, I was reminded of something I read in a a book by one of my favorite authors, whose name is Gordon McDonald. He wrote a book called The Resilient Life. Now, I, when I was away on my medical sabbatical, uh, I read a lot. Um, I read around a particular stream. Sometimes when we're reading, it might be good to have a variety of reading that we're doing. Because, by the way, you know, reading... It, it helps us in a lot of, good reading can really help us. It, it helps us in our thinking. It helps us in our vocabulary. It just, it helps open up creativity. It's just a lot of benefits to it. Sometimes it's good to read in a variety of different directions. Some of us at the beginning of the year should be thinking about a reading plan for our lives, like for this year. We, we should be thinking about it. It might be modest, but we should be thinking about it. Not just reading the scripture. Huge. That's so that's, that's like the base, that's the baseline for those of us who follow Jesus. But other type of reading is important as well. I, I said all that because during this time away, I was, um, I read a lot on a particular stream. I wanted, I needed strength in an area. I was, I was feeling beat up, I was suffering. And uh, I shared with someone, I said, I, I, don't, I don't know if I ever understood suffering at the level I was suffering. And there was a lot of reasons for it for me. And so I read a lot about suffering, resiliency, faith, how to position ourselves to be resilient. What does it mean to wrestle? What does it mean to have a thorn? How do we get better? How do we endure? How do we have patience? How do we think about what God's trying to do in us when things are hard? How do we welcome him in when part of us is angry? These are all real things. But the, one of the books I was reading was Gordon McDonald's book, The Resilient Life. And he was talking about, in this book, about one of the small pieces, but it, was, it caught my attention, was he, he said something about a 19th century Anglican bishop named Henry Moore, who I had no knowledge of. And he was talking about the, because the man had a, a big effect. He had a huge following at the time. And uh, he, many people came to Jesus because of this bishop. But the bishop himself had been deeply influenced by his father who had attained far less notoriety, but had nonetheless held this very important place in his life. And um, he was talking about how he was impacted by his father. Now I know many of us have been influenced or affected by our fathers. Some of us good, some of us not as good. Our grandfathers. 
And again, the, his focus had to do with his father. That's why I'm narrowing the scope. But some of us have been affected by fathers, by grandfathers, by father figures in our lives who have invested into us, who have been for us islands of stability in turbulent times in our life. Huge. We need that. I mean, we need that with men and women, but I'm, I'm talking about fathers right now. So, some of us, if you're like me, you, you know, I was deeply impacted by my grandfather. I did not have a good relationship with my father. My father and mother broke apart. They, they, it, my family ended at around 12, when I was 12, 13, and there was a huge void, and I kind of blamed my father for that. And so I never, I didn't really ever have, uh, even though things healed up as the years went by, but, and, and he's died long since, but I never really had um, a sense of, of deep belief being loved, and I didn't feel like I needed it either, but I did get it from my grandfather. I'm just being honest. He taught me a lot about loving Jesus. He was consistent. He was a strong man, but he was a tender man in, in a certain kind of way. But the consistency of his life ultimately affected me. He, he, I, I've said this before, I won't spend too much time there, but really his greatest impact in my life occurred when he was in his late 60s and 70s. That's when our paths really crossed. I was coming into my late teens and early 20s. He was leaving his 60s, heading into his 70s. So no one, and I'm gonna say this, no one should underestimate what can happen in our advancing years. We do not know the impact we will have. Uh, Bishop Mole went on to say this about his father after his father had died. He wrote these words. This is why I, w I wanted to put, ask them to put them up. Because at the time, it, uh, they, they were so, I found them so beautifully honest, simple, and yet eloquent in their own way. He says, I can only look back upon him. He's talking about his father, who's, who was this example to him. I can only look back upon him thankful that such a personality embodies to me the great word father. Look how he describes him, a man so full of energy and capacity, so absolutely simple, so entirely fearless, so free from seeking his own glory, so ready to bear. See how, watch how his description intersects with the description of what Paul calls us to in, in, in verse two. So, so ready both to bear and do, a gentleman so true, a Christian, a gentle man, so true. A Christian, so strong, so spiritual, so deep. Such a pastor, such a parent, such a grandfather, such a friend. And I read that, and I, I don't think it have the same, necessarily the same impact, but I remember I, I, when I read this, where I was, and how unhappy last year, I was so unhappy with my frustrating situation and so hungry, as maybe some of us might find ourselves at certain times in our lives, so hungry to want to move forward. You ever find ourselves in a spot where we are tired of what we are in? We want to move forward, but we feel stuck. And the process is so slow. And I think when I... When I was, I began to think about the influence that we as men and women can have on those who are connected to us most closely, and and how the humble authenticity really, um, and consistent Christ-like life affected this man who ultimately affected so many people for Jesus. I found myself wandering down the corridor of my own mind, going. How, Lord, I wonder how years down the road, I mean, to have someone say that, really truly say that, who knew us best, I, got, I thought, Lord, what would, I wonder how it will be someday when I leave this life. 
if even if I had a portion of that, um, even if a portion could be said of me, I would be astonishingly grateful. And again, that goes back to verse 2, right? Where we talk about these qualities. Oh, by the way, it says, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, look at it together if you can. Here it is. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And do you know what that is? That's the opposite of forcing our way. You guys can pull that down. It's the opposite of forcing our own way or having to have our way if it means win-lose. It speaks of a desire to de-escalate, to do workarounds in our relationships, to guard the peace. To look, I look back on my earlier days, and I've been doing that, so bear with me, because I've been spending a lot of time thinking, and that could be good and bad sometimes, hopefully more good than bad. But I was thinking about how when I was a younger leader, even just starting here at the church, I was in my early 20s. I was very zealous. In fact, I was zealous when I was in college, too. I won some arguments for Jesus, but I lost the person who I was trying to represent him to. You can win an argument and lose a friend. You've got to be careful. We have to be careful about that. It doesn't go anywhere. Anyway, I grew up very competitive. I felt winning was very important. I still do, I guess, at some level. But, but I think I understand a little better that there are different ways of winning, and not all of them involve getting our own way. Did you hear what I just said? And remember, oh, OK. Now I'm going to go back a little bit. I remember I was still dating my now wife of 31 years, Cheryl. And we were playing this board game together, or some game together. We, were, we, okay, I wasn't even, we weren't even engaged. We were just getting to know each other. And after you hear what happened, you'll be surprised that she agreed to marry me. Okay, I'll tell you that right now. But we were playing this game together. We were just kind of starting to get to know each other. And I don't remember when it was, but I remember there were four or five of us playing. And it was a very competitive game, and we were all in, and you know, like people get when they play games, you know, whatever, different kind of games now, Settlers of Catan, but whatever, but you're all in, right? People are in. And I remember um, at the end, I won. And I said, yes, right? I won. And I was pretty really happy about it. And I was... I was moving around happy, right, that I had won. And I was enjoying the, the satisfaction of it. And then in the middle of my display, right, which I felt really pretty good about, uh, she said with utmost sincerity, oh, I finished second. And she looked happy. Like, like, that, was, like that was an accomplishment. Uh, an accomplishment because she had finished what? Uh, I had a two or three other players, and I said, "I said, what are you doing?" <laughs> I, I said, "What are you doing? You you finished second. There's no second in this game. You either win or you're just the the best of the non-winners." But I didn't say non-winners, right? <laughs> I said, there's, there's, what you, how can you be happy about finishing second, yet alone celebrating it? Well, I just, I thought it was, I was happy to finish second. And I remember 
in my utter naivete, deflating her. Um, but suffice to say, the rest of the night did not go well. I did not go well. Uh, now, we both look back on that moment and laugh, at least I do. And I, 30 years later, <laughs> 30 years later, we've changed both a little bit. She's a little more competitive, and uh, I'm a little less. But the essential goodness and happiness and lightness of bearing that characterized her then, that really hasn't changed much. And to me, it, it still speaks of something Christ-like. And I guess the connection for me has to do with guarding the peace and finding ways to celebrate our differences as complementary opportunities. And what's more, I think there's a sacrificial component to unity, because that's what that verse 3 is all about, the idea of not having to win or have our way, the capacity or the willingness to yield. Um, this is huge, right? It's true. In any relationship, any church, any good friendship, the willingness to yield when we're butting heads. Can we find a workaround? Can we find a third way? Is it win-lose, lose-win, lose-lose? Is there a win-win out there for us? What's that look like? Can we find it? Can God help us to find it? Do we need to bring somebody else in to help us to find it? Are we going to keep clashing at this over and over again? Good friendships learn how to find that, that pathway. Honestly, when we have the Lord working in our lives, we start practicing yielding. Now, some of us have to practice the opposite at times. For us, Christian growth, a growth in our life with Jesus is going to look like sometimes standing up to things in courageous ways. But for others of us, it might have to do with yielding when our pride is up and our feathers are you know, kind of ruffled and we feel like that kicking in again. And the Lord is going to say, no, that's not my way. That's not my way. I'm going to talk about sacrifice real quick. Look in the handout. There's a passage of scripture. Jesus is having this conversation with some of his disciples in Luke. It's, it's right there in Luke 9, and I want to look at it together. It says this, that now it happened, and I'll try to do this as quickly as possible. It happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. By the way, right here, this teaches us something, that there are times when we need to pull away and realign. Jesus modeled that, particularly when we're under a lot of pressure or when we are immersed in success, both of those two things have the capacity to create distorted perspectives. When we are under intense pressure, we start to see things in altered ways. And when we are experiencing unusual success, we can become proud and we miss things too. Both of those places invite us to pull back and to check our motives and to align, align ourselves better. Jesus modeled that. Sometimes it has to do with when we see something coming around the bend and we know it's coming, we can see it coming, and it's, because that's what was happening with the Lord. He could see it. He was, he was ha experiencing amazing success. He was under in enormous pressure, and he saw that there was a challenge coming around that was going to be as intense as anything any human being has ever faced in this world. And he understood that even those that were closest to him, honestly, they could not understand. So the disciples were there when he was praying alone. And it says they were with him. And, they, and he asked them when they came to him, he says, I just have a question for you. Who, when they came to him, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, well, John, some people say you're John the Baptist. Other people say you're Elijah. Others say that you're one of the prophets of the old that has risen. There's a whole lot of, Jesus, you should know. There's a lot of opinion about you. Most people agree that you're from God, but they're really not sure about who you are. 
And then Jesus posed a question to them that they probably didn't see coming. Because what does he say? He says, uh, he says, I know that. I know what's being said about me. But who do you say that I am? Everyone has to answer that question. All kinds of opinions about Jesus out there today. But who do you say that I am? Peter, I would, but I'm, I'm still amazed at how the Lord does this. He invites us into a relationship with him, and then he'll push us inward. This is a growing life. This is no surface life. They can call it what they weigh. It's not surface. The closer we get, the more he puts, pushes in, into places, deep places. Who do you say I am? Pushes inward. Whoa. I, Peter pops out, right, with the, the answer. Well, you are the Christ of God. Look at it. And that's a kind of principle, by the way, there's something important here worth remembering as we make our way into the new year, especially positionally. What we confess, we possess. What we confess, we possess at least to a greater measure than we would have if we didn't confess it. That is why our words matter. That is why our praise matters. Because what we, that's why it matters how we speak to people when we are angry. That's why it matters that we do not use intimacy as an excuse to speak out things that we would never speak out to a stranger. Because words matter, both negatively and positively. In this case, it was positive. What we confess, we possess. I was having a conversation with someone. They, they, they were listening to me talk, and I was kind of like, ah, you know, I kept qualifying things. I wasn't happy. And it was a while back, but they said to me, you know, you be careful. Because, you know, when you speak that, you reinforce it. What we confess, we possess. I say, you know, you're right. I go, this is hard for me. Because I'm basically an honest, I, I like to be honest. I don't like saying, oh, I'm, I'm okay when I'm not okay. There's a fine line, isn't there, between being fake and exercising faith. Those are often held in tension. What is faith? And then am I being fake? What does it mean to say, I, I'm doing better? When a part of us says, well, kind of. And if, I'm just saying, and it's how we speak matters. What we confess, we possess. For some of us, God might be saying, you know what? There is an alteration in a speech pattern in our lives that needs to take place. We are referring to something in a way that is different than the way God wants us to refer to it. And we need to spend some time there, alone with God, write some things down, and share closely in some conversation, if possible, and pray for one another, most preferable, to see if we can gain a better perspective on something God might be wanting us to shift around and adjust. Just a thought. Peter says, you're the Christ." Of God, and he says, Now I'm going to get to this, you guys. Gotta, I, this is going to be the words of Jesus. I got to say that, look at them. They're tough words. I'll say it on the front end tough words. 
Jesus says something. When, after Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of God, he says, okay, that's very good. Now, I don't want you to talk about that to anybody right now. But you're Messiah. Why can't we talk? Because I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's going to go in a different way than you're thinking. There are some things that need to play themselves out, and I don't need you to go out there proclaiming me as Messiah right now. The Son of Man, look what he says. The Son of Man must suffer. He's talking about himself. Many things be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. That's the leadership of Jerusalem. He's going to be killed. On the third day, he's going to be raised. What are you talking about? These words were shocking. They were confusing. But you're the Christ. You just said you, you received that. Yeah, but you know what? We're talking about Messiah here, not as asserting power, but laying it down. I'm going to yield. And he said to them, and speaking of yielding, which is what I'm about to show you, what's going to happen and the life that's going to come out of that. In fact, I want to tell you something about, you say you're my disciple. Well, okay, I want to, I want to suggest this. But he said it more than that. He says, I want to say this to you. If anyone, whoa, would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I wrote around this, I said, there is a sacrifice, and I want to get the words precise because I don't want to be confused. I want to read what I wrote. There is a sacrificial aspect of following Jesus. Struggle is assumed. Is there anything that we can point to if we claim to follow him that we are restraining from for the sake of the kingdom? Is there anything? Is there anything hard that we are struggling with that involves him, requires his help, a cross, a thorn, a disappointment, a wound, a call to step forward courageously and face something bravely? I'm talking about something that requires grace as we seek to do things God's way. Because if there isn't something we are struggling to yield to Christ, then there's one thing we can know for sure. We are either perfectly obedient or we are not his disciple. Because to have a call to discipleship will challenge us to die to something so that something else may live. And by the way, dying isn't easy. It's actually hard. Really hard. And yet, that's where God's grace comes in. And so, you know, what is, and he takes it one step further. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For me, this is hardball. I call this the struggle for sovereignty over our lives. Who's the king? Who, who's the boss? I at least need to be able to say it. You're my Lord. Now, I'll, with your help, I will, I will seek to live a life aligned to that. I'll need your help always, because I can't do it. I need your help. Yes, you get me. This is what we talk about, relationship. We will do this together, break through together, die to live, live to die. It's all this together. He who, what is a profit a person if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? It's the inverse. It's the, uh, you die, you live. You live, if you live for yourself, you die. If you, if you die to yourself and live to me, you live. It's all about learning how to, how to work the angles of who we really were made to be in God, finding ourselves, the real selves, in the making. Okay, we combine the two passages together. What do we have? Quickly, just some take-home points, fast. When we talk about 
a life worthy of our calling, then it's, well, what have we learned? We combine these two pieces, Paul's peace, Jesus' peace. We learn that it involves a life that is willing to sacrifice, number one, a life that is willing to, to sacrificially make adjustments, right? To live sacrificially and make adjustments. To follow Jesus will cost us something. It will require us to face things, wrestle with deep questions, accept our limitations, acknowledge with humble honesty our weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and to explore our blind spots. My son, Jacob, he's my third, our third. He's, um, he's, he's very, when he gets fixated on something, he just goes all the way into it. And uh, we had watched, the, I don't know, some of you may have, seen the movie Creed that was out. What is that? Well, it was about, it was like the, the long sequel to Rocky, the Rocky movie series. So Jake ends up recording all the Rocky movies and says, we all got to watch all of them, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of them, you know, it has been many years ago. So he says, we got to do, we got to do it, right? He's walking around, dun, 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 dun. he's just doing everything all over the house. So come on, Dad, come on, Dad, let's do it, let's do, let's do this. And I said, all right, all right, all right, all right. So I ended up watching number one. Fantastic. I forgot how good it was was the best picture of the year. It was good. So then he goes, let's watch number two. All right, so if you did, I was watching number two. I'm, I'm saying all this, there's a reason, all right? There's a reason. So in Rocky two, in Rocky one, his eye is so, he, he gets so beat up that he, his eye is damaged. So he's got a blind, he, he's got a part where he can't, the reason he can't, part of the reason he's, he's afraid to fight is because he's got a now a spot where he, and I remember that Burgess married this, this, this uh, his, the trainer, Rocky, right, remember? You, you can't fight anymore. You got a blind spot. He goes, no, I'm, I can do it. No, he says, look, I can do it, right? Whatever he says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. I can do this. All right, so he goes and he says, look, watch this. He moves his hand. He goes, do you see that? He goes, I see it, I see it. He goes, you see that? And he just kind of does it. And eventually he does it. And he goes, you can't even see the spot. He'll kill you. He'll murder you. The guy's the best in the world. He wants to obliterate. You can't even see. Right? You got a blind spot. What do we all have? Blind spots. I have one. You have, we have them. What are they? They're the areas of our unique vulnerability. It's one thing to know our vulnerability. It's another thing not even to be able to see it. That's why we need others. And what they ended up doing, which I think is a great metaphor, is he says, you're going to have to shift your style to compensate for that spot. That is, there's wisdom in Rocky too. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> There it is. It goes back to number one. It's about adjusting. So I adjust to compensate for my weaknesses because I want to live a life worthy of my calling, which means I need to bring others into my conversation, allow them to be honest with me, which requires trust building. Out of that comes the opportunity for real breakthrough in my life as we begin to shore up the weak zones, some of which we can't even see right. That takes humility. But when we're in enough pain, this is what I learned, We'll do almost anything. Pain and suffering can be a gift if it opens us up to something we would never open up to without it. Because he loves us. He's there with us. Second, real quick, it involves a willingness to leave things behind. I can't talk too long about this. Suffice to say, 
It's going to involve making adjustments, and it's going to involve maybe sometimes shifting some things around. Uh, it may be that some of us have felt like we've failed. Some of us may have imprints from our past. Some of us might feel like we've got ways of being that are connected to how we were raised. I, look, the cross, I use this phrase, the crosswalk. It has dual meaning to me. The crosswalk will involve yielding certain things to God. The crosswalk involves yielding certain, see the cross and the walk, there it is, together. Walk worthy of the vocation for which you've been called. Walk worthy of your calling. Take up your cross and follow me. The crosswalk invites us to yield. Sometimes what we're being asked to yield is the perception of who we are because this is who I've been. Sometimes it has to say this is who I, who I think I am because this is what they told me I was or this is what the culture tells me I am and to be proud of it, whatever it is. But who does he say that I am? Some of us walk out of our failure, so we've built our life out of a failure identity. And Christ is trying to say, I want you to find your identity in me. Very important principle. Last thing I'll say, this is, we'll finish with this one, and that is this, that it, it, sometimes it's just going to have to be, show up in terms of how we love better those who are around us. That goes back to... The second verse, Ephesians 4, that we began with, the example of Bishop Mull, who, who, who he received from his father. The impact we have on others when we seek to live a life that looks like Jesus is almost amazing. right? I, I look at it and I say, Lord, help us to have these qualities. Some of, so what are we saying as we leave? What is it that God wanted us to hold on to? Who are the people we're supposed to affect? by giving attention to our character and our ways of responding to things when they're not going our way? What are our old patterns of behavior that show up when the pressure's on? How does God want to help us grow? For some of us, we're going to be, what the Lord is trying to say to us, no, I want you to, what, is your, what are you supposed to bring out of this? I don't know, some of us might, it might be, watch your words, because what you confess, you possess. For others of us, it might have to do, remember your blind spot. What are you doing to deal with that? Now that you can kind of see where it is. What is, the, what is the compensation and the grace package that God has? What is my crosswalk that he's asking me to yield on so that he can open up other things? Why is struggle sometimes a gift to me and even pain and setback if I allow it to create an opportunity for God to open up new pathways in my heart that I couldn't have given before because I'm too stubborn or proud? Let's pray. And Lord, even before we close with our final song, which really does remind us and invites us into, into new places, to new, new horizons, to new, this, we're going to sit with that as we close this out. And after our time of giving, we're going to try to just be there together. We take this word that we've just received and pray that it would play itself out in our own hearts, in mine too. I pray it. Keep working. Keep working. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid of struggle. Struggle can be our friend. It, it can break us out. It can build things in us. When it teaches us how to rely on your grace, which is more than enough, even though it's hard, and part of us may want to run away, it's okay. It's okay. We trust you. Build good relationships. Move forward. Growing year. That's what's ahead of us. Ask for your blessing, your grace. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. <laughs>